Oh, don't you appreciate Josh bringing some extra instruments in tonight? Tonight. Today. Today. Fall kickoff Sunday. I'm on it. You know, it's a Sunday that we usually encourage people as school has started just to get back and to take advantage of all the ministry opportunities that are available, not only on Sundays with our normal service and also our adult Bible fellowships, but also the opportunities available on Wednesday evenings, including a class that we call Introduction to Faith for all those who are interested in learning more about faith and potentially even deciding to join uh, it lasts four weeks, and it's with Pastor Byers, and uh, it starts August 30th. I hope you'll consider that as one of the possibilities. Well, our annual theme is Hope for Everyday Life, because believers ought to live with a positive outlook on the future. We ought to live with hope. And so we studied the book of First Peter to emphasize hope, regardless of whether times were good or whether times were more challenging. And then what we've done over the summer is asked the question, well, if we have hope, then how can we be fruitful? And so our series has focused on hope for fruitful service, and we've divided it into two sections. The first section was looking at character. What are the characteristics that we need to be fruitful and productive? We took it from 2 Peter chapter 1 where he says that we need to add to our saving faith, moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly love, and kindness. Then we moved to our second portion of the summer series, which was then emphasizing spiritual gifts. How is it that God has designed his people to function in his body so that it results in the growth of the body and the praise of God? And I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, because that's where we've been taking the primary point of our series. That's on page 126 of the back section of the Bible under the chair in front of you. Now, as you're turning there, as we thought about the spiritual gift series, we've said, well, first of all, we learn through trial and error. So it's not like we're going to just be able to take a test, and that's automatically going to tell us what we need to know. We do it through trial and error. I remember serving as a camp counselor in the summer of 1992. And on the one hand, it helped confirm my calling to vocational ministry. And on the other hand, it showed me I never, ever, ever wanted to be in camp ministry. (laughs) Well, I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't tried. Well, number two, that we have uh, seen that these gifts often have a part of just Christian character, normal Christian character. So I may not have the, the gift of serving per se, but I still serve. And I love how people have been wrestling with these questions over these last several weeks. I've heard several stories where someone says, you know, I, I get that that's kind of how I'm, I'm supposed to serve in certain ways, but there are, there's great joy that I find in doing things more than everybody else does. And it dawned on me that, wow, I have the gift of serving. So it's been helpful. I've appreciated hearing how people have been wrestling with how God wants them to function in the local church. And then we've said all along that all the gifts, every one of them, is valuable, important, and necessary for the growth of the body. So it's not that anybody gets to develop pride because of a certain way in which God wants them to function, nor does anyone get discouraged that they aren't functioning the way somebody else is designed to function. So it's a a both and there. All right, please follow along as I read. This is the word of the Lord, Romans 12, beginning in verse 1. 
Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now he's going to explain to us what it looks like to do those things. What does it mean to present your body as a holy sacrifice? For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individual members one of another. So we're emphasizing here the value of all of us. Now verse 6, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So our task this morning, my task this morning, is to cover five of these words. He who leads with diligence. Just five words today. Just five words. Here's the title of the message. Finding hope in the Spirit's gift of leadership. And I think we would all agree that the concept of leadership has fallen on some hard times, maybe because there have been some poor examples both inside and outside the church. So let's just start by helping us understand what it is that leadership does. What does it look like? And we're just going to start with the words of Christ. In Matthew 20, Jesus called them, that's the disciples, to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not that way among you. Whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. So we understand that this is going to involve service. There's going to be a sacrifice that comes with leadership. Most of the concepts in Scripture can be used improperly, but bad examples do not eliminate the idea. And I think many of us could testify to the reality of what happens when we experience poor leadership. It's hard, even discouraging. What happens, on the other hand, when we have people who are functioning like Christ wants them to, then there's a result of blessing and encouragement. And so we're going to focus our attention on what leadership means in Scripture. He who leads, what is this gift of leadership? Then second, with diligence. With diligence. What does it mean with diligence? That's describing how spiritually gifted leaders are supposed to function. And along the way, we're going to make application to both sides. That is to the leader as well as to those who are following. Because the reality is, as many of us would function in both roles anyway. We we might be leader in one area and follower in another. And so we're going to need to wrestle with what does it look like for us to understand both sides. Now, this term leads in Romans 12 
8. It's used seven other times in the New Testament, and here they are. They're all going to be underlined. In 1 Thessalonians 5, we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently, there's our diligent word again, labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord. There's our leadership word, charge over you in the Lord. In 1 Timothy, we're told he must be one who manages his own household well, referring to pastors, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? So we see this management side in 1 Timothy 3. A few verses later, it says deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their households. Again, emphasizing manager. In 1 Timothy 5, it says the elders who rule well, there's our leadership, are to be considered worthy of double honor. Then the final two occur in Titus. This is a trustworthy statement concerning these things. I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage, there's our leadership, engage in good deeds. In verse 14, it says our people must also learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs. And so scholars use words like lead, out front, have charge, manage, engage to describe the concept. It's not passive or reactionary, but is active, forward-thinking, first-acting kind of person. And when you think about service, the servants are often the first to arrive and the last to leave. So this isn't about barking orders. It's about asking other people to join them as they pursue the Lord. And we have a cross behind the screen, right? So what we're saying is, look, we're going to Jesus and we want you to come with us. Come with us so that Christ is the one who's magnified. He's the one who's glorified. He's the one who gets the credits. At the same time, there is some level of authority Jesus didn't design his church for everyone to have equal voice and equal authority. We see that in every passage. In Romans, it's the leaders. In 1 Thessalonians, it was the leaders of the church. In 1 Timothy, it was the elders and deacons. In Titus, it was Titus specifically who had been commissioned by Paul to appoint elders and set in order the things that remain. So when we think of leader, we need to think in terms of responsibility, authority, management, active engagement, serving, working longer, and being in the front. All of those are pictures of he who leads. Now, we have many layers of leadership in the church. So as we think about even our church family, there's the layer of pastors and deacons, and every year you're asked to nominate individuals who you believe would serve well in the role of a deacon And I hope that you'll take that charge seriously and that you would even use a message like this as part of the criteria that you use to evaluate who would serve well in that function. We have ministry leaders, women's ministry, men's ministry, point man leaders, women's Bible study leaders. We have event leaders, Taste of Christmas, Vacation Bible School, Living Nativity, Christmas for Everyone, and on and on the list goes. God provides this gift and function of leadership because he wants people serving 
so that others are in a position to use their gifts and abilities well, and that Christ is ultimately glorified and praised. So I want us to think, given that picture of leadership, what does it look like then to do it diligently? What is the diligent part of the equation? So we're going to see three ways uh, in leaders in Christ's church should be diligent. The first one is be diligent to follow the Lord's leadership. Leaders are also followers. We eagerly lead under the leadership of Christ. And that's what we saw in the very first one. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13, it says, And have charge over you in the Lord. In the Lord. So their position is all about in the Lord. They should be directing our hearts and focus and attention to the Lord. That's the direction in which they're going. And that's the kind of leader we want. We want people who are leading us to Christ because they are in submission to the great King, the Lord Jesus themselves. So leaders are out front saying to everyone else, come, join me. Let's go together to the foot of the cross. Let's go together to see the greatness of Christ and enjoy His blessings. So friends, if you have the gift of leadership, this picture of being out front, working harder and longer, taking responsibility, eagerly serving so that Jesus is glorified for the purpose of benefiting the church, then I hope that you're asking yourself, is my leadership all about making people more excited about Christ? And as you're looking for people to follow, I hope you're saying, is that person's leadership all about helping us become more faithful followers of Jesus? Are we more committed because of that? Are we more excited about Christ because of the leadership that we're receiving? Because we want to reject leaders who focus on power, self-preservation, and self-exaltation. We find that over and over in Scripture. When there is a bad leader... It's about the leader. It's their own self-preservation. I have to be protected. It's about their exaltation. I need to be viewed as awesome and amazing. And God's picture of leadership is the servant. The one who works harder, longer. The one who organizes. The one who is out front. The one who is managing. The one who is seeking to point people to the Lord. When there's godless leadership, life gets hard. But when there's good leadership, life is a blessing. Now, we need to ask ourselves a different question, and that is, are we good followers? Because, you know, we're not really going to follow well or lead well if we haven't trusted Christ as Lord as master, as boss. Because that is actually foundational to being a follower of Jesus anyway. In Romans chapter 10, we're told, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, as Lord, that he's the boss, that he's the master, he's the one who sets the direction, 
then we're probably not going to be very good at accepting leadership from those who are wanting to point us to Christ. Instead, what we do is we adopt the poem Invictus as our mission statement. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And friends, if you have never placed your faith and trust in Christ, then we would invite you to do that now. I invite you to receive Christ as your Lord. It says we receive as Lord and then believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. So if you have yet to place your faith and trust in Christ and accepted him as your leader, then it's not going to be very easy to accept leadership from anyone else. For those who have, then you know that exercising godly leadership is not always easy. And you know that following a person who's exhorting you to continue to move in the direction of the Lord is also not always easy. But that struggle isn't new. It's not new. It's a struggle that actually began all the way back in the garden where God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? You see, there's a stream of rebellion that runs in the hearts of all of us, unless we're willing to address it in the power of Christ. We're not going to lead following the Lord's leadership because of rebellion. And we won't follow somebody else's leadership because of rebellion. So the first point of application for us all is really if God has gifted you with leadership to be the one responsible, to be out front encouraging others to join you serving harder and longer, then are you doing everything you can to repent of the rebellious desires to get the glory, to be a person of renown, and instead to commit in your heart that your leadership is going to be about Christ. Now, now let's take this to a real practical level inside the church. Fathers, is your leadership in the home pointing your children to a greater relationship with Christ? Will they be able to honestly say, look, Dad may not be perfect, but he, he tried. He tried to make Jesus really big. And get, give him the credit and the glory. Deacons, will your deacons care list folks say that as long as they were under your care, as long as they were members under your watch list, that you tried to lead them to Christ? Pastors, don't mind me if I talk to myself here for a moment. Would people under your care say that you're running to Jesus and encouraging them to follow you to the cross. Ministry leaders, is that the focus of your ministry? And if you're following, then are you also watching for rebellion and stubbornness in your own heart and attitude? Or or just looking for the ways that the leader's not doing it right and 
boy, if you were only in charge, that it would surely be better. Or is there a heart of, Lord, thank you for providing leaders who are going to direct us and encourage us to have a more faithful relationship with the Lord. So we get the struggle, and we know it's not going to be perfect. That we have to wait on. The future promise that should make us long for heaven, that there should be an attitude of us all of one eye here taking care of our responsibilities and one eye on the future. As Isaiah was reflecting on the ultimate servant, behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights, I put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the nations. We long for that day. He will not cry out or raise his voice nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. But there can be a present reality if we're going to let it. We get the struggle. So leaders... The ones that you know God has gifted you in this way, exercise your gift in submission to Christ, ensuring that your leadership makes it easy for people to love Jesus more. And do it with diligence, eagerly, zealously, willingly, with devotion. For those who are following, man, let's thank God that he gave us gifted leaders. Let's be thankful for that. Be excited. Check our own pride and rebellious heart where if we were just in charge, it would be so much better. And instead say, Lord, you've provided these leaders for this purpose. I need to follow them well. Friends, this whole concept of leadership and following, that was God's idea. And when people function in their God-given roles, using God-given strength and his principles, then blessing results. Blessing results. Now, I want to pause for just a moment and say something. Uh, Pastor Breyer is preaching over at West today, so he doesn't know I'm going to say this. So you can tell him later if you'd like. But, you know, one of the reasons that people stay around you, know, you think about how long has Pastor Oakwin served as a pastor on Pastor Breyer's staff? 25 plus years. People don't do that. The average stay of a non-senior pastor is like two. Pastor Garner, over 20. You just look across several staff members And ask, why is it that they have been here for so long? One answer is because they've experienced good, godly leadership. That's been about Christ. Pointing people to Christ. So it's not hard to stay and to embrace the leadership because it's good. It's God-honoring. So we have a definition of spiritual leadership, being out in front, responsible, managing, engaging, 
we understand that diligence means that there's effort and eagerness and willingness and a devotion to it. We understand that leaders serve. We know that it has to go in the correct direction that is in the Lord. Now let's consider another aspect of this diligent leadership. It comes here. He who manages his own household well, manages his own household, two uses there. And Timothy 3.12, and good managers of their children and their households. In 1 Timothy 5, the elders who rule well are considered worthy of double honor. So here's what we find. It's being diligent to organize and manage. You know, you can tell if a person has the gift if they can organize projects and manage people. Some just don't. And that's okay. Right? God has designed the body to fit together with what each joint supplies. So not everybody needs the gift of teaching or exhorting or giving or serving. Everybody needs something. And we all need all of it from somewhere. So nothing wrong with it. But those who have it are diligent to organize and manage. They understand the diversity of the body and seek to supply what the body needs. So they're going to understand the goal. It's not just about getting things done. It's about people becoming more like Christ as a result of getting things done. In Colossians 1, it says we proclaim Him, that is Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ, not in the leader, in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to His power which works mightily in me. It's one of the reasons why it's such a joy to be part of this church family. There are so many gifted leaders exercising that gift with the goal of presenting people complete in Christ. You know, on Wednesday night, we had over 150 servants gathering just here on the East Campus, probably close to 300 between all three, ensuring we were ready to start fall ministries. That involved children's ministry, youth, ushers and greeters, ABFs, nursery, coffee, and somebody needed to organize that. Somebody needed to be ready for that. So that when the servants came, they received exactly what they need. Good use of their time, pointing to Christ, encouraging them to serve well. Yesterday we had men of faith. 150, 200 guys came out yesterday morning to study the Bible and think about various aspects of biblical manhood. Well, somebody needed to organize all that. The breakfast didn't make itself. The chairs and the tables didn't automatically get set up. Somebody had to do it. The sound didn't just magically appear. Somebody had to set it up. Leaders run that. Here's another example. Christmas for everyone. It won't be too much longer before we're talking about Christmas, huh? That'd be exciting to talk about Christmas. You know, it's an interesting story. Christmas for everyone's fascinating story goes back a number of years. The Red Cross initially had a Christmas program, and they asked Faith Church to supply underwear to help with their Christmas program. 
and Faith Church supplied underwear, like by the truckload. And so the Red Cross came back the next year and said, hey, would you be willing to take over the Christmas program? And that started Christmas for Everyone. And this will be the 23rd year. And the leaders of the ministry, and there are many, are not simply making presents available. They want the gospel out front so that guests as well as those who are serving can have a spiritual focus. It's, this is about Christ. This is about understanding who Jesus is. And this is about growing to be more faithful to Him. Aren't you glad for spirit-gifted people who do the extra work? You know, sometimes we often think, well, when we go serve at Christmas for everyone, that's all the time it takes. Not exactly. Somebody had to do some stuff before we ever arrived. Then there's also a willingness to be out front a willingness to go first. Have you ever wondered about living nativity? Like, where in the world did we get living nativity? We got it from a church in Louisiana. Several went down to check it out and thought, man, we need to do this in Lafayette. And so Pastor Good led the church. This will be the 33rd year for that. And some have suggested that when you look across those 33 years, some quarter of a million people have heard the gospel. It's all about the gospel from day one. Someone had to lead, someone had to decide, and then someone had to invest a ton of work to organize and manage. Do you know the original Bethlehem was 70 feet long, 24 feet high? I still remember the scaffolding. I'm not sure I saw the original. 24 feet high. You say, how in the world do you do that? I mean, it's sectioned in like 21 four by eight pieces. How in the world do you get something that big together? And, well, that's where Arvid Olson entered the story. Arvid Olson has a master's degree in theatrical design. And so he would have an overhead projector. Remember those things? Overhead projectors? So he had one of those bad boys shining in a barn that doesn't even exist anymore. And on it would be like a paint by numbers. And people would go in and they would trace out the thing on these sheets of oxboard. And then they would paint it different colors. And if you just looked at one sheet, you think... What in the world is that? But then when they put it all together and the whole 70 by 24 foot thing came together, it looked like you entered first century Jerusalem. How in the world did that happen? Somebody had to be out front. Somebody had to make all those transparencies Somebody had to know what transparencies you needed to make. And the Lord used Arvid to do that. Here's another example. Do you know the first night of living nativity? State Road 26 was only two lanes back then. 
the first night of Living Nativity, we backed up traffic past I-65. So if you lived in Rossville and you were trying to get home that night, good luck. It's like you're going to be sitting there for three hours while everybody makes their way through the Living Nativity and finally makes you back out on 26. I mean, the next day, you know what happened? The leaders met. So we need to figure out how to do traffic because we can't do that tonight. And, you know, over the last 33 years, people have taken all kinds of leadership roles to manage and organize. And aren't you glad for that? You know, when you drove in, you noticed the school expansion is underway. And if you thought about living nativity, like, where in the world does living nativity go? Because it looks like they're in the way. They are in the way. But there's a whole committee who's been working this year to figure out what the new living nativity is going to look like. Why do churches need leaders, and why do people need to do it with diligence, with the kind of zeal and eagerness and devotion? Because that's how you point people to Christ. That's how you share the gospel with a quarter million people over 33 years. That's how you encourage people to serve and help them to be faithful followers of Jesus. Somebody has to do the work. So God provides spirit-gifted leaders because of the centrality of our mission. And you know what? The church isn't about making widgets, prophets, or a name. There's already a name, and it's a good name, and we don't need another name. This is about the Lord, and He gave us a mission. We don't have to create a different one. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. That's the mission of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Nothing more important than that. And if you're engaged and serving joyfully with seal and devotion, then we are rejoicing that God has given you to us. Praise God for that. But if you have this and are not engaged yet, then we encourage you to do that. There are leadership gaps and opportunities everywhere. Then it's because of the the diversity of the body. We've highlighted this point a couple of times, the diversity of the body. Not everyone is designed to do the same thing. In Romans 12, he told us we have various gifts. In Ephesians 2, he's telling us that we, God, through Christ, has brought together the Jew and Gentile into one spiritual house. And through it, created one new man, establishing peace, where there was not peace before. You know, again, it brings forth a lot of different people doing a lot of different things. Every year we do mulch madness. Well, you know, it's it would be a very different experience if we had 150 people show up to do mulch madness, and then we had like a bazillion yards of mulch, but nobody had any tools. That would make for the mulch madness to be not so much fun. Somebody had to do that. Or living nativity teardown, and part of living, living nativity teardown is an experience all to its own. 
good experience. You know what we have? Leaders everywhere. You know why? Because when you take all the stuff apart, then you want to be sure you put it in the right place. Can you imagine if we all just said, all right, here's a hundred Allen wrenches, go take the thing down and stick it in the nearest trailer. It would be a disaster. But we have leaders organizing it all so that it becomes a joyful experience. Then, because of the power and beauty of equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry, one of the great joys of being a pastor-teacher is found right here in Ephesians 4. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. We're told that when that happens, the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. So we can be happy about every joint, everyone, the teacher, the exhorter, the server, the one who has mercy, everyone is important, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now, one more emphasis in the text And that is be diligent to guide followers in doing good. Be diligent to guide followers in doing good. We saw this in the Titus passages. Being careful to engage in good deeds. Learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs. And isn't that important in the midst of a culture that is becoming more adversarial? I'm just going to highlight a couple of the good deeds, if you will. You know, one of the major projects from our last strategic plan was to expand the school. With Indiana's voucher program making Christian or private education available to virtually every family who wants it, more families were wanting it than we had spots to offer. And so we as a church family decided, yes, we're going to do that. We're going to increase the school. This is, will be a ton of work. And someone, in fact, many someones, had to lead the effort. And I hope you'll pray for the school. There are unbelieving students who attend Faith Christian School. There are students who are struggling in their faith, and it needs to be strengthened. They're deciding, am I going to live for Christ, or when I'm done with high school, I'm gone out of here, and I'm going to live however I want? hope you're praying for them. And the leaders are all about trying to make it about Christ. Or here's another one. Remember this? This was the cooler keg bar, right? We bought that for a dollar, way overpaid, (laughs) and turned it into this, right? The Hartford Hub. And I heard this week that now that school's back in, they had a slew of children who went to the Hartford Hub this last week in order to receive help with homework. But, but notice the kinds of things that are happening. I'm not sure if that guy is sleeping or praying. <laughs> but we're going to go with praying, right? That's what we're going with. Because it's all about trying to help them learn about Christ. Here's just a delightful picture of some of the servants who have been investing in those little children. And by God's grace, some of those kids are going to come to Christ. 
and learn how to live faithfully for Jesus. Or we think about the CDC and Ross Reeder and Todd Lewis are really working diligently, have a places like this that just needed to be gutted. I mean, this is some of the stuff they needed to take out, right? Kind of nasty. But, you know, in the end, what's it look like? Well, now it's taken shape, and now it's taken even more shape, and that's the finished product because there's a need for taking some of these worn-down community properties and making them nice. Well, we need leaders to do that. It also helps a church to shine the light of the beauty of the gospel, that that's what we're all about, trying to make Jesus known in as many ways as possible. In Matthew 5, we're told that we're the salt of the earth. We're told that we are the light of the world. We're told that a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. So therefore, as a result of those little analogies, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The gift of leadership, the Spirit's gift of leadership, is given for the purpose of being out front, engaged, taking responsibility, working harder, longer, doing so willingly, eagerly, zealously, so that Christ is glorified. And that people grow in their relationship to Jesus. And that requires leaders to lead in the Lord. To provide the organization and structure necessary to use people's time well. And results in their good. So leaders, how you doing? And when we follow... We willingly, joyfully submit to their leadership because it results in God-glorifying praise and blessing. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the reality that you provide all of the functions to your church. Some teaching, some exhorting, some giving, some mercy, some serving, and some leading. And Lord, we thank you for the diversity of our church family. We thank you for the joy associated with following good leadership. And Lord, we're asking that you would help us as we lead to do so with this kind of diligence that points people to the greatness of Jesus. Lord, I also pray that you would help us as we follow, that we would deal with any rebellion in our heart that may actually be a larger spiritual struggle And would you help us to follow willingly, joyfully, so that the end result is that we accomplish the mission that you've given us, and we lift high the name of Christ. So we ask in Jesus' name, amen.